0: Welcome to the show. Our podcast partner is Levi's Solicitors. You can get some uh, cash off your legal fees with Levi's if you go to the Square Ball landing page, 10% discount, personal and commercial legal services. 85 years of legal excellence with Levi's, so you're in great hands. Get in touch with them right now via levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the Ball. My name's Dan Moyland, and I'm joined remotely by Michael Normanson. Hello. And Moscow White. Daniel Chapman. Hello. There are a limited number of copies of Issue 8 of our fanzine available for you on our website, and there's plenty of merch up for grabs, including Leeds Carajo t-shirts. We've got a couple of new colours in stock, but they're flying out very, very quickly. If you want to get hold of those, we've got links at thesquareball.net. We'll turn our attention to the brilliant finish at Swansea in just a bit, but first of all, we have to start the podcast by paying tribute to Jack Charlton, who passed away on Friday after suffering from lymphoma and dementia. An absolute Leeds United stalwart. They bandy the term "legend" around very often, but this was a genuine legend.
2: The eras of Leeds United that he covers are confusing to me to read. Like when you look back at it, because you almost think of the Dom Revie team being completely separate from everything else. But then you realise Chatterton played in 1953, which seems absolutely ridiculous, and was still going in 1973. It's. I think it's, we said this when Norman Hunter died as well. I think the number of appearances these guys chalked up will never, ever be beaten. I mean, just a quick glance through some of the longest serving players in the squad at the moment and, you know, no one's above 200. People who feel like they've been for ages like Liam Cooper and 191. I mean, I think even with the number of games clicked plays, I think he would probably have to do another another 15 to 20 seasons to get anywhere near it. Just, just a phenomenal amount of games
1: for us. I think one of the things about Chuck Charlton's longevity is how long he actually kept playing because everyone knows football is in the... The 60s and 70s, as soon as you hit 30, you were considered over the hill. And that was, it's sometimes surprising when you look back at the the last days of of Reeve's team, when people say that they, they had to start thinking about replacements for Billy Bremner and, and Johnny Giles. But you look at how old they were, they were like 29. And they're already saying, well, don't think Billy Bremner's got much left in those legs. And Jack Charlton was a couple of weeks short of being 38 when he uh, he ended his his playing career with Leads to keep going that long isn't just um, amazing in itself, but at the time it's almost freakish.
2: Although Sigs on the training ground served him well, you see.
0: Because that's one thing I think a lot of people don't realize talking about the eras that Jack Charlton uh, spanned. It was a lot longer than you think. And and in an era that really predates that drive towards modernization in the game, I mean, his debut was it April 1953?
1: Yeah, and if you're reading in his obituaries that it was uh, Rage Carter who gave him his debut, that is wrong. And those people need to get a copy of One Hundred Years of Leeds United by Daniel Chapman, and they'll they'll learn it was Major Frank Buckley. Jack Charlton's first game was Major Buckley's last. He was seventeen. I've been tallying up some of the the dates. Um, Charlton was uh, he was 29 when Leeds got into the first division under Don Revie, and I forgot now. I think he was 32 when Eddie Gray made his debut when Eddie Gray was 17. Um, So he was already quite, you don't want to say old about somebody who's 29, but by the time Leeds got into the first division and started being good, he'd had a a lot of football up to that point that kind of, it gets a bit forgotten sometimes, but it's the most interesting part about Jack Charlton in, in some ways and explains a lot about how he did keep playing until he was 38 and how he did become... Such a successful manager, not only with the Republic of Ireland, but he was successful at Middlesbrough. He Howard Wilkinson took over Sheffield Wednesday from him and got them promoted the first season. He said that was, there was a, there was an awful lot of centre backs scattered around at Hillsborough, and he managed to turn them into a, a team that that went up. And it's the years after his debut in Major Frank Buckley's last game before Don Revie arrived the 1950s that kind of made Jack Charlton in a lot of ways because. I don't know how well people understand the nineteen fifties in the in Britain and maybe this needs a, a slight history lesson, but there were there were four things that really came into play. One, the Second World War. Jack Charlton was born of a generation whose parents had defeated fascism in Europe and were heroes. And all the comic books that you you would have read growing up in those days. And I'd, my dad had loads of copies of the Eagle annuals and Eagle comics I used to read. And it, it's all basically replaying the heroism of World War II with fighter pilots and heroes in the trenches. And then, um, and then Dan Dare comes along and the whole thing is basically you're fighting fascism in space, but it's still the same thing. And it's all about this heroic ideal that because the war's over, there's not a lot for the kids growing up to emulate. But what, Jack Charlton's generation was being promised was the atomic age. the The world after after war is going to be brilliant. You still had ration books for for years, but once that was out of the way, you know, you can have a telly now, and um, we're going to rebuild the country, and everything is going to be fantastic. But what was actually being offered, instead of being mm-hmm. uh, instead of heroism and instead of um, every modern convenience you can imagine, was for Jack Charlton was a, a job down the coal mines, which he did for one day. He did one day's work down down the mine and basically said he wasn't doing that again. It's fine for everybody who uh else he wanted to, to do it, but he um he wanted something more and a lot of his generation were looking for something more. The other factor at the time is that the Cold War took over from World War Two. So the idea that the Russians also had atomic energy and they were going to use it to build an H bomb and that you one day you would just get a four minute warning, an air raid siren would would go off and then everything would be wiped out. And that lasted until probably when we were growing up. I remember the, the 1980s, you still just had the that edge of um, of just at any moment, a bomb will fall, fall from the sky and the world will end. So there's this real impetus that you only have a certain amount of time and that it could just be snuffed out at any moment, which was a new feeling for the, the age that wasn't something that had existed before World War II and before the advent of atomic power. And then closely related to that, I think, was the Munich disaster, which it wasn't only Bobby Charlton that Jack Charlton knew on that plane. Through Bobby, he was friends with every Manchester United player who died in the Munich disaster. And that was a, a perfect example of what a lot of people lived in fear of at the time, that all your talent, all your opportunity, everything that you had all your potential could just end in one night. And for a football team of unbelievable talents to just be wiped out at a stroke must have been a big shock to every footballer, but particularly to to Jack Charlton, who who knew so many of them. And there were a certain number of those those players had been um, at his wedding, and uh, I think he'd been at Bobby's wedding, and he was close to a lot of them. So this ticking clock that was running down had. Jack, at a very young age, I think he was 22 when he started doing his coaching badges, and that those were only just beginning. The Football Association was running coaching courses at Lillishall and uh, Jack Charlton was was there. And then he'd go back every summer, even after he'd got his uh, his qualifications, he still kept going back and learning, and he was a student of the game. And he, uh, to earn extra money, he went out coaching in the afternoons. But at Leeds, after Major Frank Buckley. Who really did believe in coaching, and famously used to use the the public address system at Leeds to to yell at the players um, until the the local residents uh, complained about his obscenities being broadcast up the hill. Rage Carter took over, who had been such a, a talent. He won everything in the game. He really was a like a, a Hollywood hero. Won everything in the game by the age by the time he was twenty three. Didn't believe in training, so there was no training at Leeds United. The quote from Jack Charlton. Is that nobody taught you anything and nobody learned anything? You just went in in the morning, you did a couple of laps of the pitch, played five a side, and went home, and nobody cared what you did for the the rest of the day. And after Rage Carter was sacked, he was replaced by Bill Lampton, who was a goalkeeper and a a former army instructor who had absolutely no idea how to train footballers. He once um, he tried to kick a um, a leather football in bare feet and nearly broke his toes. And after that moment, all the players had. Virtually no respect for him. And then there was Jack Taylor came in who who did actually have a bit of football knowledge, but compared to what Charlton was studying and learning about and knew that was happening at other clubs who were getting ahead, he was in the second division at a club being run by absolute idiots in the middle of a squad full of players who basically didn't care. Leeds, were, Leeds had got promotion to the first division under Rage Carter, but they were slipping out of it. And they used to bunk off from training runs and go and buy ice creams and then meet back and say, Oh yeah, that was really tiring. Right. Should we go down the pub now? And it was only when there's a great story of Billy Bremner. We had a real vital relegation match away to Blackburn as we're getting, it was, we're dropping out of division one and nobody had arranged a pre-match meal. And even Billy Bremner, who was 17 and had just come in the team, was kind of looking around himself and remembers it distinctly saying, I thought, I thought I'd come from Scotland to a first division football club, but this is just amateur hour. And, that ate away at Jack Charlton from 1953 to, it's 1961, when uh, March 1961, when Don Reevy eventually takes over, who he didn't like because I think by that time, and like a lot of people of Jack's generation, they get called the angry young men, the the people who uh, grew up in the 1950s. Don Reevy was just authority. He was just the, the old fashioned. He knew everything. He'd tell them Tell him what to do. He was just another one ordering about. And one of the first things he did was was tell Jack Charlton to play up front. So Jack, who is now coming into his late 20s, has wasted his career. He's seen his brother's teammates all have their careers stolen from them. He's not being given any help to make the opportunity, to make the best of the, the talent that he has and the opportunities that should be his. He thinks he should be a first division footballer. He's got his ideas about how the game can be played, that he spent hours studying. And now this dickhead, Don Revi, who he argued with as a player and is now the manager, is playing him up front. He's never a striker. He said it was a disaster. He scored some goals, but he hated every second of it. And at that point, he was ready to leave. And he nearly went to Manchester United. And the story there is that Matt Busby said, well... I am interested, but there's somebody else in our reserves that I'm interested in as well. So if you can wait a couple of months, I might come back and sign you. And something clicked in in Jack Charlton where he realized Leeds was where he needed to be, Leeds was where the opportunities were, and that he couldn't keep causing everybody all this trouble about him wanting to go to Manchester United and him wanting something more when he actually there were people at Leeds who could actually help him solve the problems if he screwed his his head back on. And that's the point at which in a way his career Began and I think the reason why he did play until he was thirty eight is because he didn't actually start being a footballer until he was twenty eight, and then after he'd uh, played his career and and won the World Cup and then plenty more besides management because all those things that he would learned before Don Revie and then from Don Revie he didn't let them go to waste. He put it all to to use at Middlesbrough. There's a I was reading today about him taking Middlesbrough to play Liverpool. And thinking that if uh, if Middlesbrough played without a centre forward, then Liverpool's two centre halves, who were the, their best players at the time, wouldn't have anybody to mark, and they wouldn't know what to do. So he just pulled his uh, centre forwards back into midfield and ran at them with the ball, and Middlesbrough won. And you know he became a long ball merchant at Republic of Ireland level, but that was always about uh, recognizing the players that he had weren't world class, and that if they tried to to play through world-class teams, they'd lose the ball. So get the ball up the other end of the pitch where it's not at risk. It's astute and it was clever. And because of his ungainly playing style, he was called the giraffe quite disparagingly by a lot of people and his reputation for the little black book and so on. I don't think anybody gave him the credit perhaps for being as tactically intelligent as he actually was. But name another footballer who's a qualified coach when they're 22. There's not many of them around and there certainly weren't any in 1955. And those kind of key years really contributed to uh, Jack Charlton becoming who he was.
0: And we're looking at the wider context here in the stats. So This is how much of an impact he had on us. And I didn't realise this until it's been put on our sheet here um, for this show, that he's our ninth top scorer with 96 goals. That is incredible. That is absolutely breathtaking. I mean, looking at him back, I think about,
2: two thirds of them would probably be disallowed now for uh, just like basically heading a goalkeeper and a ball into the net at the same time. But you know those are the rules at the time.
1: Well, there were the rules, but also that's something nobody did. That was a, another tactical innovation with them, um, and Charlton. And it was a bit of a scandal at the time. It's like, you can't just put your tallest player on the goal line and head the ball in from a yard. It wasn't, that's not the, the, the sporting way of the English way of playing football. And, Charlton and Reefe, he just said, "Stop us!"
0: And we've lost three absolute titans of the game when you add up their appearances over the last few months: seven hundred and seventy-three, seven hundred and twenty-six, four hundred eighty-six for Charlton, Hunter, and Cherry, respectively. So a lot of appearances that have uh, that have been taken away from us, and a lot of big players. And it's just chipping away at that
2: that top ten of the of the all-time appearances as well. With obviously Paul Maidley dying not long ago as well, Gary Sprake. I know he has a more complicated history with us now, but he he was still on that list. And it it sparked some of the discussions about how we go about doing a lasting monument for them. I saw some suggestions that we have like a just a large um, statue of that entire team, maybe doing the wave or something. Something, I think something like that would be a nice thing to do, uh, particularly while, you know, some of them are still there to appreciate. It would be nice if, you know, Eddie Gray and Paul Reaney and Peter Lorimer could actually see that thing unveiled.
0: On the football front, Not been a bad week, has it? All things considered. When we went into this, needing wins against, well, everybody, it's just every game is must win now. And win we did because we've stuck five past Stoke. We beat Swansea, as we well know. And everybody suddenly seems to be of the opinion that we're on the verge of promotion,
1: which is nice. Some of us not so suddenly.
2: Some of us not quite there yet. I'm nearly there. We are nearly there. It's still in the back of my mind that if we do lose to Barnsley and Brentford continue to win, we're gonna be panicking again. Which we shouldn't. We shouldn't as in we shouldn't lose and we shouldn't panic. But it's still there in in my mind. I'd feel a lot more confident if Brentford could just drop some points this week. But God, what an amazing week it's been. Like two completely different wins, but both of them I'd say equally enjoyable.
1: I was just gonna say losing to Barnsley is traditional. Three games from the end. We did exactly the same thing in nineteen eighty nine ninety, our only defeat of the season at Elland Road was three from the end against Barnsley. So even if that happens, it's all just part of fate. It just means it's going to go down the final day against Charlton, which will be fine.
0: I'd rather that didn't happen, to be honest. I'd like us to get this boxed off as soon as humanly possible. I think what we'll see is a refocusing of attention back on the football a little bit over the next 24, 48 hours, Tuesday, Wednesday when Brentford and West Brom play again and and then we come round to Thursday, we'll be focused on the game again and just get the all-important win. I mean, we've never been this close. We've never had as good a chance as this. I mean, you've got to exclude the 2006 playoff final because I refuse to accept that in our lexicon of opportunities of getting back to the Premier League because Kevin Blackwell, that's the only reason why.
1: I was going to say, you need to take this up with with, uh, Blackie because he won't be happy to hear you saying this. He, uh, he was saying just a few weeks ago that he's the only person who's got leads within an ass's roar of uh, promotion or words to that effect. Don't dismiss that fine achievement.
0: We probably don't need to go back over the games with a fine-tooth comb, but it has been a spectacular week in terms of converting chances, taking opportunities. We've seen the value of Pablo Hernandez. How good is Pablo? I think almost this, providing it,
2: it all goes as we hope it will and we do see this through. I think this little mini season that we've had tagged on the end and Pablo's performances in it are going to go down as in history as like a, one of the, it's almost like someone who's come into a world cup and come and been completely brilliant, you know, kind of like a, a Maradona 86 performance or something where someone has just managed to drag a team over the line, not single-handedly it'd be would be unfair because other people have played well in it, but, in every single game he's come on, he's made such a big difference. And I think without Pablo in the squad, we're probably stuck somewhere in the playoffs right now. And instead we're on the verge of the title.
1: We did quite rightly try to share the credit around after the Swansea game on the, the match ball and still looking back the distance that Luke Hayling ran, click did exactly the right thing by going to, to meet his run and take the ball, held Acosta's Costa's ball through to him. Is worth its weight in gold and, All those players did brilliantly and then credit as well to the five players who were not Pablo Hernandez, who were all racing into the penalty area. But you do, you get players and it's maybe Gary Lineker has come to to mind as kind of the, the similar factor is there are players who just, they score the goal. They're the one who somehow always do the thing. The thing that you need, they'll do it. And Pablo Hernandez seems to have come into that kind of magic zone over the last couple of weeks where whatever's required, he'll be the one to do it, whether it's a ridiculous pass over the top of a defence, whether it's pulling the ball back and and making it so that even Liam Cooper can shoot into the back of the net or whether it's being the one in the penalty area to, to finish a chance. And it could be you put, I really like Tyler Roberts. This is, this is no criticism of him. But if Tyler Roberts was there, maybe he doesn't finish. Maybe it's just that Pablo is There's something happening to him at the moment, the way he's playing, that any other player there just wouldn't have done it. Not because of skill, not because of ability or talent, just because he's doing it. And there's something indefinable in football. Sometimes happens to a player that they're just always the one who'll be scoring the goal or getting the assist.
2: And you can see it in his celebration that he's fully prepared to drag us there himself. He's tried his best to do it. Last season there were games like the Millwall game he we would a goal down in that when he and he pulled it around basically by himself. And it feels like he's been on the verge of this for a while and he's maybe been letting other people have a turn for a bit. Seeing if other if someone else wants to get us promoted and this season he's just gone, do you know what? If I have to do this by myself, I'll just I'll just do all the goals and assist, shall I? That's fine. Let's get up and we'll talk about it next. we'll talk about it later.
1: With Baradi hanging around his neck if need be. You're right
0: though, Moscow. Some players just have it's that source, isn't it? It's the source, it's the magic, it's that Just that indefinable quality that means they just are at the right place at the right time. And that's that's what you kind of live for as a football fan, witnessing these moments. Now, at the other end of the pitch, let's not forget how brilliant the defence has been. And this all feeds into Bielsa's philosophy, I guess, of attack being the best form of defence. But some remarkable stats that have been pulled by um, LUFC data that I saw this tweet a little bit earlier on today as we record this. And I'll, I'll, read the, I'll read the tweet out word for word. Leeds haven't faced a single big chance in any of their championship, manage, uh, championship, managers, championship matches since the restart. Our expected goals against value is just 2.12 over our last six games. Now, bear in mind, our XG against Stoke was four alone. So we've beaten that in one match alone. Our XG must be through the roof. But to only face just over two goals worth of XG, Is absolutely phenomenal. And if you're new to the idea of XG, just to quickly explain, it basically measures chances according to where they are, who they fall to. It's putting a value on how much a goal is expected to be scored from any particular shot, rather than just saying, was it a shot on target? Yes or no. It kind of tries to add a value to it. It's not, you know, it's not flawless. However, it's an accurate system as we're going to probably get under the circumstances with football uh, as it is at the minute. But what, what a start that to have faced no single big chances. We've obviously... Conceded a couple of goals, but you look at the goals we conceded at Cardiff, and they were kind of just thunder bastards, and the same for the Luton, um, the Luton goal. But we've been absolutely outstanding at the back.
2: Um, my favourite ridiculous stat of the last, of the last week as well was the one that Berardi had completed more passes than all but two Stoke players, despite coming on the pitch in the 84th minute. I think that shows something of the dominance in there. Going back to the XG, actually, I was a bit confused to hear Swansea complaining after the game that they thought they deserved something from that game when they basically created no chances whatsoever in an entire match.
0: What makes them think they deserve something out of it, given that? Well, Stoke's XG was better than Swansea's. Stoke was 0.24, Swansea were 0.22. I think
1: leaving XG alone, the the start, from the, the start of the season that seems to have returned, teams just couldn't get in our box. That was what was remarkable about the opening games of the season, was that there were matches where they they didn't make a single successful pass into our penalty area. And if you can't do that, you're not going to score many goals against us. And we do now have the best defensive record in the championship. And I did the um, calculation comparing our goals per game to Liverpool, but then I haven't kept the numbers because I realised that theirs was better. So I just forgot the whole thing. But it was very marginal. And even if you throw in Keiko Kassir's mistakes, you put in the fact that we played a lot of this season without a first choice left back. We started the season with Stuart Dallas covering for Luke Haling at right back. Ben White's a baby. Liam Cooper's rubbish. It's absolutely extraordinary that our defence is this good. And sometimes it has been a bit of a shame that so much of the season has been dominated by Bamford versus Enketia and Bamford versus Augustine rather than just Cooper and White are playing brilliantly, aren't they? For clarity, we should say
2: you were joking about Cooper. You were going about, uh, you were making a joke about the prevailing opinion of him on Twitter prior to this last season or two,
1: and some of the evidence. But definitely prior to this season or two. But you know, the, I mean, if you think back to um, Cardiff away under Thomas Christensen, when for absolutely no reason out on the touchline, he just boots their player in the in the chest and gets sent off. Like that was Liam Cooper. And he's got so much better that it's. I don't think it diminishes him in any way to remember how he used to play. It just piles on even more credit that that player has become such a staunch and unbeatable centre-half who you don't worry about leads defensively anymore. And that's part of the reason why the concentration on what happens in attack exists is because there's really been not much to discuss in defence Because it's been brilliant. So you just say, right, yeah, Leeds, a clean sheet. They hardly had the ball in our box. Let's complain about missing chances at the other end. And given that we have have been quite low scorers for one reason or another, not just the striker, you look at Click and you think he could have had five or six more. Jackie Harrison had that incredible run of um, goals and assists for a while, but he'd want a few more from him. Helder Costa, you'd like some more goals. But Hasn't mattered because that defence has just been incredible, and include Calvin Phillips in that as well because that role of um, stepping out and stepping in when uh, when necessary. Let me begin. Has been superb. Can't praise him highly enough.
0: Not to mention Stuart Dallas as a part of that defence latterly. Because I returning to what you just said there, Moscow. I never quite saw the point of Stuart Dallas. I thought we were signing this exciting winger from Brentford when we got him. And I've never quite been able to figure out what it is that he does or he did well. He was just sort of there. And I remember often being a bit underwhelmed, you know, when he was put on the team sheet. Then suddenly, under Bielsa's stewardship, every time he's on the team sheet, I'm like, brilliant. And you see an absolutely quality footballer in there and all praise to Bielsa for getting what he has got out of this set of players. I think it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. And it feels almost like, Swansea took us probably to new heights in that respect, where, like you say, that, that magical source element of Pablo and that feeds into the idea that everything's just coming together just at the right time, which is something we've been able to say so seldom when it comes to Leeds. It was just sensational that last minute. I'm, I don't
1: think I'm over it yet. And the 89 minutes that came before it as well should be remembered while well, remembering that Swansea on the edges of the playoffs. And are not a bad team in this division, and we restricted them to no chances and ultimately beat them. After it was, you know, it was a tough game for a reason. It was a tough game because Swansea are decent, and to have come through that with a with a last minute win, it doesn't. It's kind of I don't think I mentioned this on the the match ball, but one of the reasons why I was kind of almost not surprised that we scored in the last minute because I started having this feeling during the game that we might that the way we were playing was going to be exactly the same in the 90th minute as it was in the first minute. And that's what gives you this confidence in Bielsa's play. And if you remember Blackburn last season when they went 2-1 ahead in stoppage time and we just did what we'd been doing for the other 90 minutes of the match and scored twice, and the same against Villa. And even, in a way, the Derby County playoff match, and I mentioned this in my match report, that the reason why that game was so exhausting is because there was not a second of that match when Leeds weren't still trying to win it. Even the the last minutes of stoppage time, I can remember, the, I think there were five minutes of, of stoppage time and the, the board went up and you thought, we can still do this. And we kept going forward and kept doing the, what Lee Clark, not Lee Clark, Scott Lee Clark Parker called the scripted patterns that we, we play to. There's some Truth in that, in how it gets the best out of a player like Stuart Dallas, who is always going to give you 150% effort, Bielsa kind of directs it and says, put all that effort into doing this all the time, again and again, and you'll get the rewards. And that's what has made the difference with some of those players. We've mentioned it with Berardi before as well, where when he comes on and is absolutely brilliant under Bielsa because his job has been absolutely simplified to this team role that is really easy to understand and only possible to carry out if you are completely committed to doing it and to training it all the time. And that's why we're champions.
0: A thing to add to that, we're top of the form table. People were getting worried about Brentford. People should worry about Leeds United, quite frankly. What have we taken? 13 points from 18. That's 2.16 points per game, which is tremendous form given the lateness uh, at, this, at this stage in the season just how far we are into things it's 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 brilliant it's league winning form it's title winning form and if it doesn't carry us over the line we might as well just give this all up for a bad job and we've said it before go find a different hobby because this is just there for the taking we are heading for the finish line we just need to go through the tape now
2: I know a lot of people said that grief cast after Derby last year helped them uh, and what have you but if we don't get promoted this year I don't think there will be a grief cast we'll probably just put the papers in, shut shut the whole thing down. No point. We'll refund any subscriptions you've got, you've paid for, but there's probably no point continuing, is there?
0: Good job of going up then, isn't it, really? It is. I said before then about not quite uh, being over the Swansea game yet. I mean, after we recorded the match ball and put that out, I had to take the dog out for like a a late evening walk. He couldn't believe his luck. Uh, I was like, okay, I just need to go decompress. I was so hyped. I was so wired. Ended up going for like a three-mile walk along the canal. Just to try and get my head straight again, I was just it was just a phenomenal finish. And I hope we've got another one of those coming on Thursday.
2: I did similar I just I didn't do anything in particular. I just stayed up late expecting something to happen. You know, one of those nights where you think uh, this I think this is probably part of the problem of not being either in a stadium or a pub watching the game. It feels incomplete when something like that happens and you just get to so instead I was sat at home going, Oh, maybe there'll be i don't know maybe there'll be a knock at the door something something else exciting is going to happen today i don't know it's not it's definitely not finished and then it got to about one in the morning and i just gave up on it and said actually you know what i think maybe that is it everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mckrispie sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah,
1: you get it every time.
2: And if you love the fillet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
0: Ba 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 ba. I cannot, will not. I'm not able to tell you what's going on with the Athletic this week. I think Phil is just waiting for the P word to be confirmed before we know exactly what's going to happen. How does that make you feel? We just need to keep Phil away from saying anything positive.
1: Or anything beginning with P, I think generally, including his own name. Banned for the next fortnight.
0: Well, we will find out exactly how jinxy it's going to get when we speak to Phil on The Phil Hayes Show, the podcast that we do with Phil, uh, is getting recorded. We're doing that tomorrow, so it's going to be out ahead of the Barnsley game. we um, just moving the schedules around whilst we're... Got all these silly midweek fixtures going on ad-free writing and podcasts when you subscribe to The Athletic. 50% square ball discount is in place for a limited time only. Jump on that if you want to read Phil's stuff. Theathletic.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Just to bring us up to date on where we are, stuff that's happened since the last time we did a regular episode of the podcast. Helder Costa now a Leeds player. I mean, pretty much he has been for the last year. So welcome, Helder. It's nice to have you here. We can sell him now.
1: I think a few people were confused by this, but it was the plan all along. We can maybe take the opportunity to reassure people where this came from that it was, um, he was announced as a first year loan then becoming permanent, whatever happens. And the deal was always being talked about structured that it's 16 million, but it's four million pounds a year that we're giving wolves. So we've, we've only had to give them four million. Which is fine. It's almost like at the end of every 12 months he plays for us, we give Wolves 4 million quid is the way I'm kind of understanding this. Not forever. If he if he ends up playing for as long as Jack Charlton did, we'd probably become quite expensive. But um, until we've given him 16 million, that's kind of how it works. And hopefully he'll be worth it.
0: And the reason that's being confirmed now is because the new football calendar year starts on the 1st of July. So it was confirmed a few days after that. Hence why it's been announced before this particular season has ended. For sure, going to be fit for pre-season, which could be sometime around December at this rate. So he says.
2: Mm, going to romp it. Going to romp that pre-season. A piece of piss is what he said. He'll do
0: it spinning on his cock. Onto the charity shield then now. You mentioned this one at the start of the match ball, Moscow. This rumour that there could be a potential match-up between the winners of the championship, gather that's us, and the winners of the Premier League. A team called Liverpool. Is
1: that happening? Apparently it might not, but I'm choosing to ignore this news. It
2: sounded like a good idea. I mean, the first I heard of it was from Moscow and I was instantly thinking what a great idea it'd be to have um, a load of drunk Leeds and Liverpool fans who've not met each other for ages, having a lovely day out in London together, two well-behaved groups of lads. But yeah, quite boringly, they seem to be now saying they're going to let them play Arsenal because they've won it the most, which sounds shit. Because if, There's one thing I don't need to see in my life again. It's Arsenal in the
1: charity shield. There was one interesting proposal on the back of this from Rory Smith, who writes about the soccer for the New York Times, uh, said that he apparently he's been saying for years that the first game of every Premier League season should be the previous season's Premier League champions against um, away to the championship champions, and that you do that every year as a curtain raiser. And that struck me as a good idea. Give it a, you know, some build-up, some story there, and the first test for the, the Premier League champions and the, the championship champions is matching up, but it's in the, the home of the promoted team. That stuff has a, a lot to recommend it, I think.
0: As you well know, we have Barnsley in a matter of hours when exciting things could happen if everything goes right across the a couple of days before it. So before we play Barnsley, we have West Brom versus Fulham. Tuesday tea time in the UK and then who else have we got we've got Brentford haven't we against Preston 24 hours after that on Wednesday at 5 o'clock so I mean we could emerge from those two games knowing that a draw or a win will take us to the Premier League that's exciting
2: not a draw not a draw
0: a draw can't do it can it because of goal difference if they both lose can we draw and go up I don't know I don't care I just want them both to lose and then we can go up whatever yeah Brentford just need to drop some points
2: that's all that needs to happen and then we need to win against Barnsley and then it's all lovely and done and we can just relax and try and win the title after that, I which I would like to do. But yeah, not asked really. Second place, absolutely fine. Preston seemed like a
1: well-organised team when we played them. They could frustrate Brentford, couldn't they? Pontus doesn't like it there, although I've just noticed it's at home for them. But still, bad memories. His horrific head injury that he picked up from somewhere, from a, a cosmic source.
0: I mean, quite apart from what anybody else does, we've become attuned now to the idea that the only thing that matters is us doing our job, and our job is to thrash the behind of Barnsley at home at Ellen Road on Thursday.
2: It feels a little bit like pressure has shifted now. I feel like playing last in this occasion actually gives us maybe a bit of an advantage because Brentford are now in the point where they can't afford to drop any points and West Brom are got, well, if they lose that one, they'd have both Fulham and Brentford breathing down the next. So I don't know. It feels like we're just, we're just stepped to one side while there's a bit of a, a bit of a fight going on in the same pub.
0: And let's make no bones about it. Whilst this is potentially a massive banana skin. And of course, everybody will, I'm sure by the time Thursday comes around. Just zero in on 1990 and the echoes of that, as Moscow mentioned a little bit
1: earlier on. It's Brendan O'Connell. It's Brendan O'Connell. And then Elan Melier coming out for a, a back pass. He's come out like a fucking Mary. Thanks, Howard. Still not sure what a, what's wrong with Marys. I've known some nice people called Mary over the years. Mary Whitehouse, she wasn't very nice. But wasn't the woman in... Oh, no, it was Barbara who trained the dogs, wasn't it? Name a nice Mary. Proud Mary. That's the Virgin Mary. She was all right. Anyway, Mervyn Day came out of his goal like a fucking Mary, according to uh, Howard Wilkinson, our only defeat. Of that season, mm.
0: Mm. I was leading up to saying Barnsley are rubbish because they are rubbish. They're bot- they're bottom of this division. You tell that to Arpo
1: Halme's face. He wouldn't he wouldn't know how to react.
0: I'll shout it at my TV on Thursday if that's all right with you. But I mean, they're rubbish. They're bottom. They've lost loads of games. We've won loads of games. They're going down. We're not. We're going up. There's a chance with with no crowd noise, we'll be able to hear just how
2: mean. The leads players are being to our helmet because we heard a little bit of in the tunnel, didn't we, when they were saying, hey, you look, well, you look nervous. Why are you not speaking? And all this stuff. That might just be on all game for him. There might just be someone in Alioski might be in his ear the whole time, just saying mean things about his face.
1: That was Ali, It was Alioski in the tunnel saying, hey, why are you not say hello? It's a great way. It's kind of like um, how a, a dad would make his daughter's boyfriend feel uncomfortable. Call oh, that hello. Is that a handshake? I thought it was a wet fish. But he's got um, Alex Mowat to stick up for him, hasn't he? Old uh, MC Freestyle's absolutely tearing it up for Derby. Eight assists. For Derby. Who are we playing? Who's this team? Barnes of this one. Uh, that's, I mean, it's all fucking south of Leeds, isn't it? I can't tell the difference. All I can tell is that com show Alex Mowat a lot of disrespect by claiming that they have no significant strengths. There is nothing... Listed under strengths. And if they're not measuring rapping, then they need to, because we know that Alex Mowat from his teenage days on stage in Doncaster Dome was a superb rapper. And that should be taken into account. All they've got, uh, all the listing is weaknesses. They're very weak at finishing scoring chances, avoiding fouling in dangerous errors, er, areas, and avoiding individual errors. But I don't think those are significant footballing matters. That's fine. You can be bad at all that stuff and still be good at rapping.
0: They're bad at defending set pieces, so that corner goal is going to come, I think. It'll be crossed over and somebody will head it straight into the Barnsley net. That's what's going to
1: happen. I'm a little bit more retracted where it says that they're weak at defending counter-attacks. I feel like that could be more useful.
2: Although it's only useful if they attack
1: in the first place, which is
2: probably not part of our plan.
1: Well, their style of play is to control the game in the opposition's half according to whoscored.com. So that'll be uh, Alex Mowat dictating in the centre of midfield. And uh, that's something we're just going to have to try and cope with. Do you think
2: Alex Mowat will be up for tracking a, a 90th minute Luke Ayling run?
1: Maybe if he's got a, some chicken McNuggets taped to his back, yes.
2: I mean, Barnsley do need to win this, essentially, because they're, they are stuck at the bottom of the league. And they have a really horrible run in as well. Like if I think they probably assuming they're down because they still have us and Brentford to play and Forrest which is not it's not the ideal end to a season is it they might still be saved by some points deductions and things if the EFL can get their arse in gear with Sheffield Wednesday and Derby but other than that it does look fairly grim for them
1: I think Luke Ayling should go on the pitch with chips hidden in his hair not where they're visible hidden because he's blonde anyway they might blend in but just so that every time he runs past Alex Mowat, just he gets a whiff of them and he doesn't know where the smell's coming from Maybe he thinks it's the, the McDonald's that they passed on the way in. This was always a criticism of it at Leeds that we'd play a game and then on the early hours of Sunday morning, somebody would find him in McDonald's on, on Brigitte. Up to no good. But um, Luke Hailing will remember those days. Maybe he, can, maybe he can play on it. Just that whiff of chips. A whiff of chips. Given that we spanked Stoke 5-0
0: and we've just won an absolutely crucial match at the death there at, at Swansea, do you have any Leeds United-based existential dread about this game at all. We can't be blase about it. We need to, you know, very much play the game and not the occasion. We've got nothing to worry about with this, have we? We just need to get out there, do our job, and hopefully it will come, especially because Barnsley do have to come out and try and get something from us. It should be fine, shouldn't it?
1: If we win this game, we win the league. If we lose this game, it's an exact repeat of 1990, and we win the league, so it's fine. The only thing we can't do is draw. I can't risk a draw.
0: And then onto Wayne Rooney's Derby County on Sunday. They're not good, are they? They should be out of that playoff race by the time we face them on Sunday. You have to then assume that their players are not that arsed. Ours are very arsed. Plays in our favour, doesn't it? Plays into our hands. I mean, they did briefly pretend to be good after the restart,
2: didn't they? They won a few games and then they started playing some better teams and started losing games. So if Cardiff can just beat them, that is going to be them on the, the Jaeger bombs, you would think.
0: Has he genuinely made a difference then? Rooney, because they have climbed the table, but I mean, in terms of how they play, has he added that much to them? Are they that dependent on an an, an aging, balding scouse man with a fondness
2: for grannies? Twice balding, you missed off the twice balding. That's the real, that's the ultimate insult. He's going bald twice.
1: Looking at uh, scored dot com's list of their strengths, it does, does say they are very strong at shooting from direct free kicks, and I suspect that if you were to look at their strengths before. When Rooney arrived, that wouldn't have been there. So they're good at that now, and you know he he seems to be enjoying taking free kicks from near the halfway line and putting them in the mixer, and that's fine. I'm not sure. I mean, it's not like when George Best went and and played in America and then Fulham or whatever. Is it? it's not quite the when you're told you have got to be signing one of the world's greatest players um, for a, a hurrah in the Championship, you don't expect some weeble that just takes free kicks I'd, I'd still feel a little bit disappointed if I was a Derby County fan but then I suppose my entire season would probably have been a disappointment if I was a Derby County fan I'd just probably have switched to Chelsea by now because Frank Lampardy. Yeah, it's Leeds doesn't he
0: If you want to have a good laugh by the way check out the article in the Derbyshire Telegraph that lays out the horrendous possibilities for Derby in this game if things go right for us this week and we do beat Barnsley there's talk in the Derbyshire Telegraph of the poor Derby players having to give our players a guard of honour onto the pitch, which is something I would love to see, possibly through a pair of binoculars.
1: Especially if they can get Richard Keogh back to stick his, put his crutches up in the air as a, as a key salute.
0: Well, we'll deal with this one still in theoretical terms because we don't want to commit to promotion 100% just yet. However, we are getting promoted and we are going to have a party at some point. The booze baton, the sangria stick, Eden J. Harris, look him up on Twitter. He's been looking after this one all season. His idea to celebrate a night out with his mates, which we jumped on and thought, yes, we'll have a part of that. So it started out, the destination leads in August, then passed over to Stoke when they knocked us out of the League Cup and then it's changed hands, so on and so forth. we got a split between domestic and European uh, destinations because, well, it just keeps your options open, doesn't it? You can have two parties then instead of one. Last we heard, we had Atletico Madrid in possession of it. And where, where was it in the UK? I do forget. Southampton managed to beat, Man City beat Liverpool. Southampton beat Man
2: City. Southampton still have it, but they play scum. So by the time you're hearing this, it could well already be in Salford, which would be a, a controversial place to hold it.
0: But I think it'd be fine. I um, visited my mate at university way back when at the, in, in the mid-90s. And he went to Salford, and he lived in what had clearly been like an old tower block that the university had requisitioned and turned into student accommodation. And they had a security fence, a very tall eight-foot security fence with spikes all the way around it on the top that was there to keep the locals out, not the students in. Awful place.
2: It's a bit gentrified now, though, with Media City and all that. It's uh, Well, there's, there's kind of a line. They've redeveloped some streets that look not terrifying.
0: So maybe we can stay on the not terrifying bit In the not terrifying bit. I think we could maybe have some sort of stewards inquiry or object to it being anywhere in Manchester. That doesn't feel like it's the right thing to do, does it? Or is it? I don't know. Go rub it in their faces. Oh, I don't know. I think it could be quite pleasant. Well, we shall see. What about the European option then? Atletico still got it? They have. They're never
2: going to lose again. They've had it since the middle of Feb when they beat Liverpool in the Champions League and they they have only two games left in the domestic season. So if they can get past Getafe and Sociedad, then they take it into the Champions League, which will be done in a little mini tournament format. So it may end up anywhere. If Sociedad can get it, I think we can still have it in Bilbao because it's the same-ish sort of area. It's Basque Country. That's fine. Let's just have it in Bilbao if they get it.
0: A quick reminder to get involved in that discount with Levi solicitors if you've got some legal matters that need attending to, if you're moving house, something along those lines. Or you need somebody legal to look over your business affairs, wills, probate, commercial law, dispute resolution, debt recovery, you name it, they've got it boxed off. 10% discount for everybody who goes through the square ball. Get your discount right now by going to levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. In what's been a season-defining week for Leeds, let's pick some heroes and villains then. Somebody who's done good, somebody who has done bad Buyers. First we do villains, the Ken Bates Villainy Awards. Nominations, please. But you need to start with Ken Bates. Which one is it to be this time, though? Is it the original or one of the spin-off Bateses? It's a spin-off Bates again, not Wyoming Bates.
2: He seems to have been quiet. I think he's content with um, trying to hospitalise all the citizens of Casper, Wyoming. This is Ken Bates, who did get a mention a while ago, the vice president of the Humboldt Fisherman's Marketing Association. I, didn't, I don't think we looked him up before, but I've looked up how he looks, and he's got a magnificent moustache. It's probably it, it's very long is the way I'd describe it like it's got no it's got it's got no trimming involved in it. The Switzerland manager at Euro 96, I can't remember his name. That was a very similar sort of arrangement. It's just been allowed to grow and develop its own personality.
1: It's like if you took all of Ken Bates' beard, turned it upside down and glued it to his top lip.
0: But you're right though, most people use the upper lip as a natural border for the tash. This guy breaking all the rules, isn't he? it's going over his mouth is that one? The sort of thing where you, you, you get an accumulation of food, I'd imagine. He must be chewing it with every mouthful he eats. It's disgusting, to be perfectly honest.
2: Um, and he also stinks of crab, because that's what he does. He's a crab farmer, getter, <laughs> fisherman, person. Catcher.
1: He's a crab catcher. A
0: crab catcher.
1: The VD clinics are full of them.
0: He goes out there stripping those crab trees of crabs and putting them in his wicker basket and bringing them on shore. And selling them to people who want crabs. That's what he does. Anyway, what, what's he done? Uh, I mean, I presume this is just some sort of half-assed way to get a daft voice in. Uh, correct, yes. Um, he doesn't
2: want the world's longest fiber optic cable going to his patch. They're going to run a cable from Singapore to California, and he ain't happy with it. So he's put in a cease and desist order.
1: It's hanging off his face, isn't it? Just do the voice then. Prison to destroy Dungeness crab gear, or worse, Dis- displaced gear falling to the ocean
2: where it could tangle whales and prompt the estate to sanction the coastal industry. We're not trying to stop this stuff. We're trying to not get mowed down by them. I like the internet as much as the next men. My Amstrad emailer emailer continues to work flawlessly, even at the current speeds. So to change it. The United pay me £2,000 a month for office fees, and, that, and that's all, all in. So people say we need internet of course you don't does need to be any faster and certainly not the really expensive crabs
0: you see I've now got a vision of um, our Ken Bates with crab sticks in his beard and I'd like to say sorry for putting that into your mind now because that's it's vile um, can we speaking of vile Steve Cooper he can uh, have a nomination can't he yes just for um, well just for his face as, as
2: much as anything I made a note in fact because Tommy LUFC on Twitter said
1: he looked like um, a severely malnourished human coyote, which I enjoyed a lot. He was talking a lot of shit after this game. He's had all the attention for saying that you know whether we're good enough to get out of this league and then compete in the Premier League. He's not too sure. the The one that caught my attention was when he was kind of he was excusing Swansea's performance. He said uh, he'd have liked Swansea to keep the ball a bit more. If I'm honest, when we did win possession, but I get it. And this is his quote. There's tired legs. It's a tough game and a hot day. And obviously, Leeds are a really good team as well. Tired legs, tough game, hot day. How fucking far did Luke Ayling run to score that goal in the 89th minute, you fucking fool? Followed by Ilian Meslier can have a, will do his hero nomination now for arriving at the celebrations at the same time as half of Leeds United's bench, uh, despite covering twice the ground and despite it being a very hot day, as Steve Cooper seems to think is the reason why Swansea didn't get their precious, precious nil-nil draw. Disappointed you didn't go for an Elephant Man voice
2: when doing that. <laughs> we have to match them in what they do. Be
0: really good at it. So kind for the players. <laughs> <laughs> Only thing missing from that was a Welsh accent, but there you go. You can have it. Um, Swansea fans are a weird bunch, aren't they? Should we stick them in?
2: There's one in particular I won't name because we don't want to initiate a Twitter pile on. But there's a well, there's one in particular who's posted some very odd stuff about intimidating us and intimidating the players and just a very odd level of smugness and self satisfaction with Swansea not being anywhere near as good as us. Is
1: this the guy who was staring out our bus? Yeah, I mean he does that just for a laugh.
0: By the way, other Swansea fans have pointed this out. He's just doing it for sort of attention and, and likes and retweets, or whatever. But weird though, isn't it? It is weird, yeah, because it's it's kind of funny, but not really. Yeah, it's like, okay. A bit like this podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> shit. Yeah. Why are we still doing uh, it?
0: But we've upset a lot of people this season, though. I mean, that that's, let's face it, one of the things I'm really looking forward to, if and when we do get promoted, is just the level of shit housing we can do on so many other clubs. It's going to be phenomenal, which is why I asked the other week who's going to be more obnoxious, us or Liverpool. I think we'll give them a really good run for the money. I, th- I think so as well. I think, um, which we just need to
2: pick a, a landmark building to, to fire explosives at, and then we'll, we'll take it from there.
0: That's not something we should encourage, by the way, we should probably, when it comes to explosives, don't do that. <laughs> don't do it now.
1: Yeah, to be clear, that's a reference to Liverpool fans firing fireworks. At, um Evans offices in the Liver building rather than, uh, Bin Laden, the famous Leeds United fan. I mean, we should probably edit any reference to blowing up buildings out of the
0: podcast. No, we'll leave it in just for a bit of sport. Don't blow anything up, though. Don't blow anything up. Um, who else do you want to nominate? Andre Ayu
2: was the person I mentioned for diving, moaning, and constantly checking his every every time he was fouled. He always had to check his limb or his head that it he wasn't gushing with blood, despite the fact there'd been never never been any contact. And while complaining about it, someone did point out that Connor Roberts was also being a twat for them, so he can uh, he can also have a nomination for basically the same thing. He was also gobbing off a bit more. He just didn't get a no- nomination because I didn't realise who he was because he's not as famous. So sorry for sorry for that, Connor Roberts. You your your shithousery has now being acknowledged.
1: Did you also nominate Wayne Routledge because he's another Swansea player you've heard of?
2: Uh, sort of, yeah. Uh, I just don't know why he's still playing. I feel like we've been playing Wayne Routledge the entire time we've been out of the Premier League. He's been there somewhere, playing for someone, generally being quite good against us. I think you should call it a day. I think if this is the last I see of him, I'll be uh, I'll be a happy man. He's never done anything to personally offend me. Just sick of uh, sick of him being there every season.
1: I was quite surprised he's actually a, a Swansea player because in my mind, he's always there on loan. I've only realised now
2: that he's played about 200 games for them. Yeah, but I
1: thought they were all on loan. I thought he'd, like, he like he, was still at Newcastle and they just kept loaning him to Swansea every season. Wikipedia does say that he was uh, released last May, but four, uh, five days later they signed him on a new contract with reduced wages. So This is exactly what I mean about Wayne Routledge. He should have given up then, if he had any decency about
2: him. And if he had given up, he wouldn't have scored a winner at Ellen Road and we'd be almost even more almost
0: promoted. Who else have you got?
2: Uh, Sky TV for moving our game at Swansea and then not showing it.
0: Yeah, they show us too much. That's their problem, isn't it, the idiots? Seemed a particular dickhead move
2: did that, making us play an away match miles from Elm Road and then going, oh, it's for TV. Oh, actually, no, we're not going to bother when you get there.
0: I don't think it's that they necessarily didn't want to bother. It's that they've run out of opportunities to show leads. They're only allowed a certain number per season and they want to get the the glorious moment when we secure promotion to the Premier League and when they realised we couldn't do it on Sunday. That's why they bumped it. But annoying that they've made it Sunday and then faffed around with the rest of the calendar. But anyway,
1: is that everybody? Yeah, as long as you've got your sympathy in for famous friends of Leeds United Sky Television, that's great. I guess you won't you won't be wanting them to win.
2: I'm going to also nominate Berardi because he needs to stop before there's, someone gets seriously hurt or there's a death. His celebrations, there were several stills across the weekend of him celebrating. Him. The one of him grabbing Pat Bamford by the throat. Bamford was really struggling to style it out and looked like he was enjoying it. He had a look of a... Actually, that is a little bit tight around the old throat there. Just, just slacking off a little bit. Pablo took it fairly well. I think he's more used to it. But um, he, he needs to just. Someone needs to sedate him somehow. I think before we promoted
1: the uh, the Pat Bamford photo. It looks like he's sort of he's pulled a stolt out of a hole. It's kind of holding him up as a prize. It's an extraordinary picture. <laughs> Who's your villain? Steve Cooper, the freak. Yeah, Steve Cooper. He needs to. Um, I mean, he's the son of a referee as well. It's that's not a grounding in football, is it? You're always gonna have the wrong idea of a of a match if that's the way you've grown up. Imagine if in years to come someone's doing this podcast, having to talk about the son of Keith
0: Stroud, a Piglet, presumably. Right. Okay, he can have it then. Yeah, oh, bless him. Do you see his face though at the end of that that game? Uh, anyway, Andy Hughes Hero Awards. Who's been up to the heroics this week? Uh, oh, I meant, want to mention. Uh, whilst we will get on to Pablo, no doubt, in a second, it was Eastie underscore LUFC who wanted us to uh, give a name check for Alioski because we probably underserved him a little bit, didn't quite do him the uh, the due service when we did the match ball at the weekend, said Alioski covered some yards on the left-hand side, so we've given him a mention. There you go, Eastie. Speaking of covering yards, yeah, stick Luke Ailing in for that run
2: and all of the team for that run because, as we've said before, the whole team were more or less piling into the box in the last minute and all the, all the many, many, many hours that they've spent on the running track all finally become worth it as, the, as we score a last-minute winner. So well done to Luke Ayling, but all of them, and Bielsa for making them I do I mean, it. you
0: say that, but think about Meslier's run that Moscow mentioned before. He's covered more ground than Luke Ayling and quicker, and that was in the pursuit of joy, nothing as mundane as scoring a goal or setting one up.
2: And We've got to enjoy his celebrations on the bench in, prior to this, haven't we? So it's good that he's been able to take them onto the pitch. And we failed to mention, actually, that Kiko Kasia is available for selection again, isn't he, against Barnsley? Anyone fancy um, putting him in?
1: He might be technically available, but um, I think that would be availability that's easy to ignore. I'm also available to play in goal for Leeds United if they want, but I suggest they ignore me as well. For very different reasons, I should
0: add. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say we never see Kiko Kasia again in a lead shirt. I think he will just be airbrushed from these last couple of games.
2: Yeah, we don't need him there spoiling it, do we? And if we'd had Meslier in that all season, we would have probably already been promoted by now because he had that patch where he constantly did things wrong. Plus the one game where he did something very, very wrong. So yeah, let's forget about him. Heroes then. Who else? Joe Rothwell, because he sounds like he's a Leeds fan with a good name like Rothwell. Was Was Alan Smith from Rothwell? I think maybe he was. I think so, yeah. Uh, but he scored the equaliser for Blackburn in a, a time when it feel, felt like neither West Brom nor Brentford would ever drop another point again. It gave me a little bit of hope this week. So either, we'll even ignore the fact he's actually from Manchester.
0: Is there everybody or anybody else you would
1: like to add to the mix? The travelling Leeds support, I think are uh, getting a, an award as well. It is kind of heartening, although away fans can't be there, to hear those Leeds representatives who are there Getting absolutely stuck into the referees and cheering goals with volume well in excess of their numbers. I feel like led by Victor Orta, they do seem to be getting into the spirit of things. There was, Bryn Law was talking in, in advance of the game. Was it Bryn Law or somebody else was saying about where uh, Andrea Rattrizzani was sitting at, at Swansea, that he wasn't with the others, he'd kind of gone into the press box and I'm wondering if, he, if he's slightly a little bit sick of being constantly baradied by Orta. Um, but um, I'm enjoying hearing that Vamos uh, booming out across the pitch in these uh, empty stadiums. We should mention Bryn Law as well for his commentary
0: for that goal. I thought that was absolutely wonderful and has the potential to be one of those iconic moments that you remember in years to come a la John Helm commentating on Gordon Strachan.
2: It's nice that it wasn't on Sky for him as well because it means that it's the I don't know. It's almost the definitive version as well.
1: Yeah, if it'd been on Sky, we'd we'd be looking back on that moment as uh, Don Goodman. <laughs> well, but was it offside? Got to see the replay. Ooh, hint of a foul in there. Not sure that should have stood. Could he have run a little bit faster there, Ailing? You're looking for more from a player in that situation. I think maybe Leeds are lucky to have been given that goal. Swansea have stood a, stood aside, let them through. They've really they've really given up there. I, I wouldn't say that's a, a promotion-winning goal for Leeds. Swansea played their way out of the playoffs, in my book. <laughs> okay, then pick yourself a hero. Well, Pablo's winning it, so there's no
2: real there's no real discussion needed, is there? No,
1: no it's fairly simple. And for his uh, the way he referred to Jack Charlton after the game as well so that he'll be uh, watching over the next few games from the sky to help them win um, he be summed it all up very 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 well
0: well done Pablo more of the same please just a couple more times that is all we ask for let's wrap it up there then we've got plenty more podcasts on the way this week with match balls returning after Barnsley and Derby ahead of the next podcast proper you can grab yourself a mug t-shirt coasters hoodies all sorts of stuff on sale via our merchandise store those new Leeds Carajo colours are in store there as well, but they are flying out, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast. So grab one if you want. You can get links to those at the squareball.net Until next time, thanks for listening. We'll see you in a bit. The Squareball Podcast.